over the last few weeks, we've been talking about the, the prayer that Jesus asked us to pray regarding the harvest. We're talking about missions. We're talking about what God would have us to do in missions. And Pastor Michael's been encouraging us to follow the example that the Lord gave when he said that he had compassion on the lost. And from that, we word a prayer. And that prayer, of course, is found in Matthew chapter number 9 and verse number 38. We're going to start with that verse because we're going to show you some practical things. Because listen to the, the last part of that prayer. Jesus instructed us, therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I've emphasized the words there, send out. Now, how many of you, you raise your hands, have put your phone or your watches or whatever to remind you at 9.38 in the morning or at nine and 9.38 at night to go bing to remind you that now's the time to pray the Lord of the harvest. How many of you have done that? Let me see. So before you go today, um, set it up. And if you need to, just let me know and I will ring you <laughs> at 9.38. Folks, you know, we do that. And, and if you do that for 30 days, you know what's going to happen. You may not be able to stop like it happened to me the other day when I was driving the car. There was no way I was going to close my eyes. There was, I was in a meeting one time, and so after the meeting, I went and prayed about it. Happens to me um, at different places, but you know what it does? It always reminds me, and if you do that for 30 days, and you keep doing that, you're going to start thinking about missions. It's going to come to your mind and your heart. And our church has got um, some, some wonderful things to, to help you in, in knowing how to pray, and there's some pamphlets out there, and you can, you can um, um, watch some videos on it. And today, what we're going to be talking about today is how can we be a part of the answer to that prayer? Because, you know, the, the prayer is, Lord, would you please send out labors into his harvest? How does he and how would he actually do that? Well, the four, four questions that we were asking in praying God's will, the first thing that we ask, and this was a couple of weeks ago, uh, Michael was preaching this. He says, is it biblical? Is it biblical? That's foundational to anything in knowing God's will. Yeah, it's, it's not something that we dream up. It's something that God reveals to us. That's, that's a pretty powerful statement. The next thing that we were talking about when it came to that is, is it personal? What does it do with me? What does it have to do with me? Of course, Jesus threw in that word compassion. Or Matthew threw in that word and said that Jesus had compassion on it. In other words, that compassion led to a personal response. You, you, you can't have compassion and do nothing, can you? You must. Compassion comes from, uh, it's a compound word with passion. <laughs> and you have a passion. So, so Jesus had a passion about this. And he asks you and me to get involved with praying that God would send people into the harvest that he has prepared. And so as we look at that, today we're going to look at the practical, the practical. And the, the principle that we're going to be looking at today is knowing and doing God's will requires practical action. Now, there's an old saying that where the rubber meets the road. <laughs> this, this is where we are going to learn to be the answer to the prayer. Now, I know that some of you are going to probably think, I don't know if I want to be the answer to that prayer. I'm not quite sure what God 
what you ask for. Rest assured, you're not the only people who have ever thought that. Today's message is going to be incredibly practical. And so we're going to, I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to the second epistle to the Corinthians. That's 2 Corinthians, and we're going to look at chapter number 8 and chapter number 9. And we're going to look at some um, wonderful practical truths that, um, that the Apostle Paul was dealing with. Now, put you in the picture before we read this, put you in the picture, there was a drought and persecution going on in the church of Jerusalem. The Apostle Paul has gone and with, with, um, um, with Timothy and with Barnabas and others, and he's established churches. And these incredible churches, they didn't know the people in Jerusalem, they, they didn't know each other, but something was going to bring them together. So somebody said, you know, there's going to be a drought, there's going to be a famine, and so they're going to need help in Jerusalem. And so God moved amongst his churches to collect an offering. And this offering was going to take place over a span of a year. And they were going to promise to give a certain amount. And you can read all that. They, they talk about that in the Bible. And today, what we're going to be looking at, now it's coming up to the place where the Apostle Paul is actually collecting the offering. And they had some men that they had approved, and they were, went from church to church to do this. Some of the churches went, they were excited about it, and they were going to get involved, and God had done something, and that's what we're going to look at today. And then there were other churches, like the church at Corinth, that said, you know what, it's a great idea, let's go and do it. And then the next Sunday, something else happened, and then, some, and then you know, a year goes by, and they're going, uh-oh, what's going on? In the first chapter, uh, sorry, in the first um, epistle, in 1 Corinthians chapter um, 16, he talked about that. He says, in, in the, uh, concerning that collection, in his previous letter, he says, I want you to lay aside, don't let this be a surprise, lay aside in store for you. And that's exactly what we're practicing here. And so we're getting a model here that we now call faith promise missions. And we're going to talk about what that looks like from a practical point of view. I'm going to read the scripture and I'll give you some things to think about here. So we're going to look in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're only going to read at the moment verses 1 through 6. So hopefully you have your Bibles open to it and you're ready to start. Moreover, Paul writes, moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. That in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and of their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. We're going to be unpacking that verse because that verse sounds very, very contradictory, doesn't it? In verse number three, for I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing. Imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we had hoped, but first gave themselves to the Lord, and then to us by the will of God. And so we urged Titus, that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. Whenever God gives us a command to obey, he will always supply the means for that obedience. That's a very important thing to think about. God has commanded us to do certain things. Then he's going to supply the how to. He's going to supply the how with. And in his word, he gives us the ability and the plan of action. 
And so, so God will always give us the capacity to obey his will. God will always give us the capacity to obey his will. So, you know, when you and I are praying that prayer, that God would send forth labors into his harvest, you need to understand that God is going to be calling you to be a part of the answer to that prayer. And you say, well, that's a pretty bold statement. I'm here to be what Paul called Titus to do, to go and to encourage them to walk closer with the Lord, to see what God would do in their lives to help them to mature, to take responsibility to be an answer for that prayer. You know, I was a pastor of another church for around 35 years, involved in the starting of that church up in, in Wanneroo um, some 40-some years ago. As a young couple, Don and I, a young, very young couple, <laughs> went there, and, um, and, and, and we, we were working with another guy, and, and we had a vision to, to, to plant a church. And as we, people began to come, people got saved, started getting baptized, and, and people started reading God's word, and, 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 and we formed a church. And then from that, we began to see, what does God want us to do? And we, we read scriptures like the Great Commission to say to go into all the world and to preach the gospel. We learned through the book of Acts, we had, we had a, a history book, of it, as it were, a, a manual of, of how they did it back in those days and how, how God used men and women just like us to, to further his, his gospel into the regions beyond. And so we began to give. And God raised up missionaries. God raised up people from our church and from other churches to go to places that we had never been to before to proclaim the gospel. One of them was the Paneros over in Vanuatu. And there were many, many others. And for time's sake, I'm not going to share them with you but at the moment. But let me tell you, it came to the place where our prayer that God would increase the labors got bigger than our ability to actually support that. And so there was more people who needed support than what we had as a small congregation. And so we began to think, then what are we going to do? And we, we um, inquired with other churches and found out what they were doing. And we followed this plan called the Faith Promise Missions Plan. At the time, we were giving about 10% of our general offerings to missions. Um, we, and we, we thought that was pretty good. And then we thought somebody said, well, let's do 15 and 20%. I said, I'll tell you what, why don't we do nothing out of our general offerings? And let's just go with faith promise and see what God will do. Well, it exploded. And people began to give. People began to see the need. And, 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 and they gave thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. And, and I said in the first service about a million. It, it'd be pretty close to it. A lot of money. Uh, churches have been established. This church is a result of it. And, um, and we're, we're now seeing other churches being going. Why? Because when God gives you the vision and when God gives you the command, he also gives you the capacity to obey his will. So what I'm trying to say here is don't be afraid of the command. Don't be afraid of what it will do to you. Be concerned about what God wants to do through you. And so we see here in, 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 this, in this verse here, in the, this passage of scripture, we see several different points. And my first point here in your notes here is the practical action of this. 
This is going to be an incredibly practical lesson here today. The Apostle Paul's writing here, and he's writing here about a real offering with real significant um, um, consequences and people who really did things. In fact, I was talking to someone at the uh, first service, and he said, these people were just like us. And I said, exactly. They were just like us. They were learning to walk with the Lord. They had discovered and, and received Jesus Christ as their Savior. And they were saying, now what does God want me to do? So we see here that he gives us an example from the churches. So he's talking to the Corinthians. So let's imagine that he's talking to us. And he's going to use other churches as an example. And that's exactly what we get in verse number one. Have a look at it here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse number one. He says, moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. The first thing that he said that you need to understand in getting involved in answering that prayer of sending out labors into the harvest is not your work, it's his. It's his work. It's his grace upon you. His grace is the ability to work through you. In 2 Corinthians chapter number 9, the next chapter over, um, in verse number 8, he continues that theme. By the way, he spends three chapters talking about this. And in, in verse number 8, he says, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance to every good work. And the Corinthians would be listening to that, and they'd be saying, show us an example. And he says, look at the churches of Macedonia. Look what God has done through them. Now, we're not talking about churches that were strong. We're not talking about churches that, that were rich. In fact, just the opposite occurred. Look at verse number 2. He says, in, we're in chapter 8, verse number 2. Here's why there's such an example of the grace of God, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. Isn't that an amazing thing? Number two is they were relying on God to provide. There was a need. God spoke to them about that need through, through messengers that went through the churches. There's a need. And they said, we want to be involved in that need. And when they looked at their resources, they said, we can't do it. We, we can't do anything about this. Look at what it says here. It says that they were in a great trial of affliction. If there's anything I've learned about the Bible study over the last several years, is, is the, the, the Bible tends to choose its words very carefully and also understate things. A great trial of affliction normally causes people to be inward focus they're concerned about what they're going to do uh, protecting their family and how they're going to to put the meal on the next uh, uh, um, table and how they're going to put a roof over their head and all that he says in the midst of that trial god was going to do a work he was going to do a mighty work because it says here that they were in deep poverty and in verse number three, that their giving was beyond their own ability. So this was, in fact, a miracle that was going to happen. It was God working in them. In Philippians, the, the, the church at Philippi was up in that area. In the Macedonian area, it was up in that area. And, um, and, and Paul was probably referring to the church at Philippi at one point. Because he wrote to the Philippians about this in his little letter to the Philippians. It's called 
the book of Philippians. And it says in verse number four, when he's in chapter number four, when he's writing about the offerings that they had sent him, he said, no other church is, is communicating with me. They're not, they're not supporting me, but you have. And he says, and I've learned some important truths about my situation in being a missionary. Paul's writing from his heart here. He says in verse number 13, he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. See, one of the important things that you and I need to learn about faith promise giving is we understand that it's Christ that works in us. Don't give any more or any less than what God wants you to do. Because it's not, it's not based on what you're making or what you, what, what you could do. It's based on what God is doing through you. And so Paul says there in verse number 13 of Philippians 4, he, he talks about that and he sets the pace and he starts talking about giving. And then it comes down to verse number 19 of that chapter. And you'll know this verse. He says, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He says, you're giving to me, and it's a sweet-smelling savor that goes to the Lord, he says. It's an act of worship. And these people says, we understand. We got it. God is supplying our needs. So we see here that their reliance is on God's provision. Folks, I want to encourage you to understand that as we go through our faith promise missions, and, we, and this isn't just the only Sunday we're talking about. Every week for this next um, uh, year, we should be thinking about these sort of things. What are we doing to see the gospel go out in our community, in our neighborhoods, of course, in our state and also around the world? And in this particular area here, we're going to rely on God working in us and we're going to rely on his provision because look at verses three and four. The third point is it's expressed. Our, our actions are expressed by what we want to do. It's our will. He doesn't twist our arm and make us do something we don't want to do. Look what it says in verse number three and four. He says, for I bear witness. He said, this is my testimony about those churches, that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing. In other words, Paul says when we went to those churches, we didn't have to go and say, okay, here's how much head office said that you're going to give. Now, now you guys get with the program and let's set a goal. Have you noticed we haven't set a goal? We haven't set a goal. We haven't done anything like that. We, we haven't done that. But, but he, he's saying we are going to see here from their example that, first of all, it wasn't the dollar amount. It was the heart condition. Where they were first willing they were the ones who came up with the idea. They were the ones that say, how can we get involved? And so we, we see here that they had a willing mind in, in verses number 10. Um, if you got your Bibles there in chapter 8, look at um, verse number 10. Listen how practical this is. Paul says, and in this I give my advice. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you also must complete the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to desire it, see, there was a readiness to desire it, so there may also be a completion of that which you have. <laughs> How many of you, you say, yeah, it was a great idea until we started seeing the obstacles. It was a great idea when we were, when we were having our, our barbecue and all the food and all the great fellowship, and then Monday came. He says, you know, I tell you, 
He said, you had a willingness. Now he says, let's get on and complete the job. Keep reading here. It says in verse number 12, For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what he does not have. He says, he says in, in, in verse number 12, he says, I'm not asking you to do something that God hasn't provided for you. I don't think in all my years of working in faith promise that anybody went to the bank and took out a loan and said, here's my faith promise and I'll just make my repayments to the bank. No, no, it's not that obligation. It is what is God working in through you. And so it was expressed that they had a willing heart. You know how they had that willing heart? Have you ever thought about how, why is it that you're even interested? <laughs> why are you even interested in seeing people come to know Jesus as your Savior? You may be here today and you may not know Jesus as your Savior. Let me tell you something. Somebody cares for you and they're praying for you. Somebody loves you enough to, to want to see you come to know Jesus as, as Savior. I've been in contact with some people uh, just this week and we've been um, emailing and texting back and forth and, and they've been telling me about some people that, that I was working with in, in another church and, and they say, oh, they are growing in the Lord and I'm so thrilled with that. I have been praying for them. And I said, I have been praying for them. And they said, well, this is your prayer. Your prayers are being answered. What is it? Why, why would a person even think about that? Well, first of all, it says in verse number five, it tells you, and this they did, not as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. Here's what these churches were doing. The people in those churches were submitting to God and then they realized that there was a church structure that they had to submit to somebody and to some program or something to actually get the work done. It took it from being a dream to being a reality through a submissive will. And that submissive will is that God's will becomes your will. You remember what, the, uh, what Jesus told us to pray? He said, pray the Lord of the harvest that he will send out labors into his harvest. So it's the Lord who's sending, it's the Lord who's doing, but he's actually doing it with people. And here's the practical um, ramifications. There's submissive attitude. Their submissive attitude led to a change of the will. Once again, I am reminded about the Philippian church. The Philippian church was one who had that same attitude, and it was in a tremendous example. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13, he says, he reminded the Philippians, he said, for it is God who's working in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And then, of course, um, verse number 6 um, there's a human element in this and somebody who, who um, is like the whip who's coming around and, and, and getting it going. And Paul said to Titus, he says, you know, Titus, I tell you what, why don't you go and, and, and bring that message to him and stir him up about that? And Titus says, I'm not sure if I want to do that. You know, I don't know these people. I don't know their state of mind or anything. So the Bible tells us in verse number six that he had to urge Titus. Look at verse six. So we urged Titus that as he had begun, so he also would complete this grace in you as well. Titus, you're good at this. 
you're going from churches to churches and you're encouraging them. And what they did is they would go and collect the offering. If you keep reading in, in other chapters, it says that they formed a, they, they had a group of, of, of people who were called the messengers. And they were people who were um, people of great character and, and everybody trusted them. And they went around and collected the offering. He said, Titus, I want you to go to the church of Corinth. I want you to do the same thing. I want you to encourage them. In, in the things of God. If you keep reading that particular passage, you'll see that it started with the love that Christ has for you, and that love is in your heart for other people as well. So we see here the action. God calls us to action, and that action doesn't come by our own abilities. It comes by His ability in us. So wherever there's an action, there are, there's always a result. I was going to call it a reaction, but it's not. It's a result. Okay, so look at the next chapter in chapter number nine. And we see here, I'm going to call this the blessings of faith, promise, giving. Practical action will always have measurable results. If you're doing a chapter eight, you will have a chapter nine happening in your life. That's biblical. That, that's why it's in the Bible. And that's why he's encouraging us to do it. So Paul continues his, his message here. And um, as he does this, uh, we're going to start in verses number six on down. Um, I, I had a change of mind. I didn't have time to tell anybody about it, but I had a change of heart when I read verse number one again. And the Apostle Paul had this too. The Apostle Paul said, you know what? I don't really need to tell you this. And then Paul's a preacher, so he says, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> and so I don't need to tell you this but you're going to hear it anyway. So if you have your Bibles open to chapter 9, and he says, Now concerning the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous, or it's not necessary for me to write to you. But he continues, and he does write. For I know your willingness about that which I boasted of you to the Macedonians, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal has stirred up the majority. Do you know what happened here? The church at Corinth had a rally. They said, let's do this. Let's go with it. Let's, let's, let's get on with the show. And so it went around a whole area and people began to hear about it. And they caught the, the vision of, of collecting this offering. And they began to do it. And now the church at Corinth, who had all the zeal, all of a sudden it's like a sugar high. They began to slow down a little bit. And so Paul says here, now you had that willing mind. In fact, you had such a zeal that other people have picked it up and they've gone further than you. And so... So he says, I shouldn't have to write this, but I'm going to. Look at verse number three. Yet I have sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect, that as I said, you may be ready. Now, I like this practicality. Listen to this. Lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, he says, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your bountiful gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. So there's the background there. He says, I don't want to be embarrassed by this. I've been telling everybody what a great church you are. I've been telling everybody about the heart that you have here and the willingness that you have don't let me down. And especially, don't let the Macedonians down because they're watching you. You know, there's people watching us right now. They really are. 
This church here is starting another church north of Perth. We're involved in other missions. They're watching us. We are their example. That's, a, that's an amazing thing, isn't it? And so Paul here is he's getting right down to it. <laughs> he's telling it like it is. And, and, and those people are listening to it. And there are some who are going, we, we better get about this program. So the Apostle Paul then gives them a principle. We're not going to spend time going into this principle. But let me encourage you in the, in the Connect Group worksheets, we get into this more. So um, you can, uh, if you don't get those Connect Group worksheets, let us know through the, through the Connect cards or send us an email or, or even a text message, and we'll make sure that you get those um, because they're very important to, to apply in your life. So the first thing that he does here is found in verses number 6 and 7. He says, but this I say, he which sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Uh, that's a principle. It's a principle of sowing and reaping. He says in verse number seven, so let, let each one of you give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly, nor of necessity. In other words, compulsion. No one's twisting your arm. He says, for God loves a cheerful giver. A cheerful giver is a giver who has a willing mind and he can't wait to be involved. There's four different um, principles here. I want to just briefly mention them. Why did Paul use sowing and reaping? Because number one is we reap what we sow. What we put into, we will get it back. Number two is we will reap more than what we sow. Every farmer hopes for that. I was shown a, a beautiful garden um, um, uh, this morning and how a couple little things and look how big my garden is. And, and, and I went to share that with you. And I said, yeah, share it. You know, I'd like, I want to see some of that. <laughs> and, then, and then number three is we reap in proportion to how and what we sow. There's another principle is we always reap after we sow. Have you ever noticed that? You don't ever reap before you sow. <laughs> You don't reap unless you sow. You know, it reminds me of the big picture that God has actually given believers in Jesus Christ. We have a much bigger picture of what, what's happening here. We, we're not just going to work and, and making a living and, and getting through this week and getting through this month. We have an eternal viewpoint. Jesus gave us that in Matthew chapter number 6 in verses 19 to 21. This is part of, uh, of a discussion he was having regarding our attitudes and our, and our actions. And he says, do you not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy? Do not lay up yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroys. And where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Have you ever been around people and when you're talking with them, you know that they're actually talking on a different, a different realm than you are? They're seeing a much different picture. We, we see that this week, a lot of it this week, when, when we think about our government and we think about what's been going on in, in our society this week, and, and we see there's, there's a person who lived their whole life for a much 
much bigger picture. An eternal picture. Believer, let me tell you, you and I need to be living our life. If we're going to have any effect on this planet at all, and we're going to be an answer to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers, we're going to have to have a much bigger view than what the average person has. And that's what Paul is saying here, because Paul is saying that because Jesus said it. And so there's going to, and I'll quickly finish with this, there's going to be four direct results because sowing and reaping. So if you give according to what we just saw in, in, in the first part about the willing mind, about God working in you, and, 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 and so forth. Here's what's going to happen. And Paul writes about this. Um, it's in verses number 10 down to verse number 15. Let me just read that passage. Now, may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed that you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. While you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God for the administration of this service, not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. While through the proof or the experience of this ministry, they glorify God. For the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men. And by their prayer for you who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. Verse 15 concludes, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. You know, when you see the big picture, some people are saying, well, look, there's a need over there. And what we'll do is we'll supply that need so they can put food on the table. Well, you know, they would have been dead if they're going to wait for a year to do that. So there's obviously a much bigger plan here. And this is what happened. He says, you, you gave not what we, as we had hoped. You gave beyond your ability because you first gave yourselves to the Lord and then to us. And then God did the rest. And then he says, so the first thing that happens is there's gratitude toward God. God gets the praise. He gets the praise for your abundance. We find that in verses 10 through 12. He says in verse number 11 that, that they were enriched by your generosity, but he says that caused them to give thanksgiving to God. You know, it's an important thing to understand. Gratitude is the whole basis on how and why we worship and praise the Lord. You know, we, we, we sing here today, we are praising the Lord for what he's doing in our life. Have you ever wondered, I mean, you don't wonder because you know this, but, you know, we do the same thing all the time. We're always thanking God for our salvation. <laughs> We're always thanking God for his supplying our needs. We're always thanking God for leading us and directing us. You know what that is? That's worship. That is exactly what happened here from these Gentile people who had no use and no view about the true and living God, came to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Now they know the true God. And now instead of being skeptics, they're now worshiping God and they're glorifying God. Gratitude is a very important thing. I'm going to quote to you from Thessalonians. That church was also up in that area. Here's what Paul said to that church in the letter. He said in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, he says, In everything, give thanks. Remember that verse? In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ concerning you. 
He said that to the, this church here, and, and this is the churches of Macedonia, who's the example here. To the Romans, he wrote this in Romans chapter 1, verse number 8. He says, first, first, before I even begin this book, he says, I want you to know something. He says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. We start to thank God for things that the world's not thanking God for. We're thanking God that the gospel goes out. We're thanking God that people receive him as their savior. They see the truth and their eyes are, are opened. And they're now going to live in eternity in, in, in heaven. It's, it's an amazing thing. And we get excited about it. And Paul says, before I even begin this theological treatise, let me tell you something. I thank God for you because the gospel's getting spread because of you. And then number two is it focuses our attention to God. And that kind of goes along with the first point here. It brings glory to God because you obey. There are people who are going to give glory to God. There are people right now in Vanuatu who's giving glory to God because you and I are giving to missions in Vanuatu. There are people right now who, in fact, their service is probably just finishing and uh, up in, in, in the northern part of Perth and, um, and, and they're worshiping God and they're praising God and it's, it's enabled because you and I gave to pay the rent. You understand, you understand the big picture here? This is a wonderful thing. This is a, a result that of an action of a mature believer. They're not getting anything out of it, but God is getting the glory. That's maturity. And look at this, this verse here in verse number 13. It, it, others will glorify God because of the gift that they had, because it shows your priority. Listen to this. For the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ. That's your priority. He says here, for your liberal sharing with them all, it shows your love and generosity for them. Number three is, it encourages, this is one of my favorites, it encourages prayer partners. We now have people that we can pray with and pray for. It says that in verse number 14. He, he says, here's another result, by their prayer for you. They didn't know them at all. Now they're praying for them. Isn't that an amazing thing? That's why we have prayer cards. You go out there on the table, you'll see there'll be a, a, a guy's picture there with his little family there, and you'll say, I don't know them. Maybe you've met them. I think they've been here, and, and the, they're wonderful people and all that, but you're going, I, you know what? I'm going to pray for them. That's an answer to faith promise missions. And then the, as, the, as the people are praying for us and, and, and praying with us, it, um, it says here that one of the results, and this is one of the most important ones, is found in verse number um, 14, that God working in you pr uh, provides an example and a testimony to others. A weak church, a worldly church, a carnal church is not a good testimony to anybody. But a church that is walking with the Lord, that has a willing heart, to, to, to look at the big picture of what our Lord Jesus Christ wants is actually an incredible example. And this world, this society today, one of the reasons why our society is, is rejecting them so much is they're seeing so much compromise. They're not seeing a clear voice, a clear picture. And Paul says here in verse number 14, and by their prayer for you, here's what they're doing. They long for you. Because of the exceeding grace of God in you. Are you growing in the Lord? Are you maturing in the Lord? 
is, is the Lord going to, um, are you going to use this to, to, to be in uh, not just the dollar amount, but to see, Lord, what would you have me to do? Today, I want to be a Titus. I want to be the one to come in and to say, let's get with the program. Let, let's, let's look at this and say, you know what? This is, this is, this is what God wants me to be involved with. And, and, and just ask God two times a day for the next several days, Two times a day, Lord, how will you send out labors into the harvest? How will you use me? You're not going to get a phone call from us. We're not going to talk. If you want counsel on it, we'll happily pray with you on it. We're not talking about all that. We're talking about what does God want you to do to be involved. It'll be many different. It's going to be exciting to see <laughs> what he's going to do, how he's going to raise up people. It, it is very exciting to see that. Because the Apostle Paul was saying here that this strong relationship, this bonding that now is formed, not just within the local church, but within other local churches all. He said to the Thessalonians, he says, we are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting. Why are you thanking God for the Thessalonians, Paul? He says, because your faith is growing exceedingly and the love of every one of you is abounding toward each other. Thanks be to God is his final plea for his indescribable gift. Lord, we thank you for your word today. It's been very practical. It just spells it right out. You've given us the, the challenge, and the challenge, Lord, is, is not to try to do something in our own strength, but the challenge is for us to submit to you. What will you have us to do in this area? And from that, Lord, what would you have us to do in any area? What would you have us to do with the way that we live our lives? With our Bible reading? With, with, the, with the compassion that we have with one another? What would you have us to do, Lord, with our, with our serving in the church? What would you have us to do, Lord, with our relationships at our workplaces? Oh, Lord, give us that willing mind, that submissive mind, and then take us, Lord, and use us to be sent out as labors into your harvest. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.